engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. It is 5.09. I am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. I'm not even going to worry about the phone number right now because I want to break down, give you my analysis of what happened last night with Kemp Cagle. Um, So you need to remember two numbers going into this, 35 and 39. Those are the numbers I I, want to explain to you, really. Um... And, Andrew, you may have to yell at me if I get on a roll here and and lose track of time for traffic. Uh, 35 and 39. A year ago, a year ago, polling for the governor's race had Casey Cagle at 35%. He raised tens of millions of dollars and could only improve that to 39%. In May, four percentage points, $10 million. He moved the needle four percentage points. Casey Cagle could have kept his mouth shut, done nothing, and made it into the runoff and not burn bridges. Casey Cagle lost last night because of campaign arrogance from his campaign. And I don't mean to offend, and I don't, while emotions are raw. But I need to work you guys, walk you guys through this. It is difficult to be the lieutenant governor in Georgia and run because if you're in the same party as the governor, you are essentially in the governor's shadow. And Casey Cagle has been in the shadows of two governors, Sonny Perdue and Nathan Deal. And there wasn't a ton of love in the state Senate. For, remember for a while there, the Senate leaders had stripped Cagle of his power, uh, even after he beat Mark Sanf- uh, not Mark Sanford, Mark Taylor. You got to remember that. And Cagle, in the shadows of these governors, had a hard time getting accomplishments of his own other than one, and it was the one he touted all the time, and it was the vocational program down in Noonan, that was a based on German mentoring vocational program, a very, very popular with the people down there. It was not hugely widespread in the state, but this was a singular accomplishment of his. He led it, he pushed it, he championed it, and he got it. But when I sat down with Cagle in February and I asked him about what he was going to run on being in the shadows of the governors, that, that was really it. Other than that, it was it was policy sharpness. He was the guy you wanted in the room. He was the guy businesses trusted. But he really didn't have, even back in February, a, a compelling message for why do you want to be governor other than, well, I've been lieutenant governor. I've been in this place for 24 years. It's it's my time. Now, of course, he didn't say that. He tried to articulate other reasons, but but they they really weren't deep. So he was at 35% based on name ID, essentially, with nothing. There's another thing you need to keep in mind here is that throughout the last year, in straw polls at local Republican gatherings, Cagle consistently lost. So you've got 35% base name ID, and you've got losing straw polls. And straw polls don't really matter, but there's a big red flag indicator here that when you've got local Republican groups across the state getting together and the grassroots activists who form the core of the party are all voting against you, you got a problem. And instead of trying to fix that problem and fix his inherent weaknesses, he made a strategic decision to try to shape the runoff to find the guy he perceived as the weakest person to run against 
who is still viable. I mean, maybe he should have running tried to get Michael Williams in there, who got I think three percent of the the vote. Instead, he wanted to get Brian Kemp into the runoff, and he became the dog that actually caught the car. Okay, so he decides to shape the runoff. He's he's at thirty five percent with no money spit. That's base level name ID thirty five percent. Who would you vote for? You got all these candidates. Cagle gets thirty five percent. He decides he he doesn't have a strong message to run on other than he essentially will keep the ship going straight. And so he decides to shape the runoff to try to get the guy in the runoff that he thinks would be most easily beaten. And he sees two other guys in the polling who might possibly have a shot if things go completely their way. He discounts Michael Williams and he decides, you know what, I don't want to run against the Navy SEAL and I don't want to run against the Army Ranger. So I'm going to attack them to make sure they don't get into the runoff. I want Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp's got lots of baggage. So he attacks Clay Tippins and he attacks Hunter Hill. Here's the thing you need to know. Hunter Hill was a state senator from Buckhead and Clay Tippins was a nobody. And I don't mean that pejoratively. Nobody knew who this guy was. He was just a businessman in Atlanta. Some people thought he was far richer than he actually was. Nobody really knew him. But Clay Tippins and Hunter Hill built support. They crisscrossed the state. They went county by county. They built organizations. When you're not a known statewide candidate to begin with, like Kegel or Kip, the people who are voting for you, they're voting for you because they really like you better than the other guys. They like you better than the guys they already know. So they liked Hunter Hill and they liked Clay Tippins. It may not have been enough people to like them enough to get them into the runoff, but by God, their supporters liked them. They chose them over the two pre-existing candidates who had statewide levels of support. And Hunter Hill got 18% and Clay Tippins got 12%. They got between them 30% of the vote. Brian Kemp on his own got 25% of the vote. What had Cagle done shaping the runoff? He had attacked the guys who got 30% of the vote so that he could run against the guy who got 25% of the vote. So you got a guy who got 25% of the vote running in and you've pissed off the voters, uh, 30% of the voters, because you've attacked their guys. So now you've already got 52% of the voters out to get you who are going to be voting in the runoff. And what did Cagle do? Instead of trying to build bridges and woo some of those Tippins and Hill supporters to him, he decided to just stay on the attack, 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 attack. And his goal was, was very precisely to keep those people at home. See, when you negatively attack and pound and pound and pound and pound and pound, what happens is voters decide, you know what, forget it. I'm not even going to go participate. I don't like any of these guys. And that was a strategy, voter suppression through negative ads. And all it did is it made them more mad. And they went out to vote. We don't even have to get to the Clay Tippins audio, and Cagle has already alienated a majority of voters in the Republican primary. You add in the Clay Tippins audio, and what you have is a man who is, in his own voice, expressing contempt for Republican voters. Well, they already knew that because he's already burned bridges with 52% of them. And on top of that, you got a guy who says he'll say or do anything to get elected. He will vote for a piece of public policy. He thinks it's bad public policy to stop the other guys because he needs he needs campaign contributions. He wants to hurt them. So now you've just compounded the the hunter who got 18 percent of the vote. You compound the anger against Cagle from Hunter Hill supporters 
with that audio and you compound the trust issue. How can you really believe Cagle when it comes to the Delta NRA issue? Or was that just opportunism as he's mocking Republican voters for running to the fringes in the primary? How can you believe him on this? How can you believe he really supports school choice when he's on audio saying um, that he thinks that uh, Republicans want to kill public schools and that's a terrible idea and he's going to stop them? How can you believe him when he says he's going to pass religious liberty legislation? How can you believe him when he says he's going to pass tax reform? How can you believe him when he says and just you get a feedback loop? You don't even need Clay Tippins to have Casey Cagle through his campaign strategy alienating 52% of Republican voters. You get Clay Tippins, and we now know the early voting, Brian Kemp had already won before Donald Trump even endorsed him. Donald Trump's endorsement would have at best only affected two days of early voting, that Thursday and Friday, maybe a Saturday in some parts, so possibly three days, two and a half days. Brian Kemp won the early vote 57.8%. So before the president even endorsed him, he had won this race. The mythology that some people are telling themselves to, to, to avoid an accountability process for bad strategic decisions is, oh, Donald Trump, Donald Trump caused us to lose this race. Donald Trump caused Cagle to lose this race. This, it was all Donald Trump's fault. This is Donald Trump's party. No, no, no. We know from the early voting, Brian Kemp won 57.8% before the president even endorsed. He won Election Day voting 75% of the vote. The president just locked in what he already had. With the president's endorsement, there was no possible way for Casey Cagle to turn the momentum of the race in the last three days. But he had already lost. Now, his tracking poll suggested it was going to be close, but we know, we know actual factual, not what polling, public polling says. We know what the actual vote was on early voting. And Brian Kemp had already won it, 57.8% of the vote. When the president endorsed him, that just pushed even more people to him. Those undecideds might have stayed home on election day, but for the president. And Brian Kemp would have still won. It was a terrible strategic decision for Casey Cagle to decide to shape the runoff and find the weakest guy instead of trying to find a way to connect to voters. And he had one hell of a story raised by a single mother committed to helping the poor. He was the Republican version of Stacey Evans, and it didn't do her a lot of good because she's running against Stacey Abrams, but it could have done Casey Cagle a whole lot of good, and he didn't run that biography. He went negative and stayed negative and burned bridges on the campaign trail with the candidates who got 52% of the vote. There was a way to win. What they did wasn't the way to win. And I realize I'm an armchair quarterback saying this, but even Cagle in the final days of the campaign was lamenting that maybe he should have run on the bio. Yeah, he should have run on the bio. That's a heck of a way to connect with people. Talking about being raised by a single mom, wanting to use the free market to make things better for other kids in that situation. That's a heck of a story. But they didn't do that. They were too clever by half, decided they would shape the runoff, get the guy they wanted. Well, they got him, and that guy's going to be Georgia's next governor now. It's 27 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number now. We can open up the phone lines for you. 404-872-0750, wsb talk Happy to take your thoughts on last night's election. Just a, a couple of more points on this. Um, it is amazing to me that the Kemp campaign won all but two counties last night. Uh, Casey Cagle won 122 of them in the primary. And this also needs to be said. I, I think his campaign strategy, he, he campaign hubris cratered Casey Cagle. Uh, but we are losing a good and competent lieutenant governor. 
Uh, I was not a, a fan of his to begin with, um, but over time, I came to respect his leadership abilities in getting things done in the Senate. And we are losing a lot of institutional knowledge with him. We're losing someone people thought highly of. Um, but we'll have Brian Kemp facing Stacey Abrams, and it's already turning nasty. I'll bring you the latest when we come back. It's 39 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. Radar rather clear at this point. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB talk before I get into the the line of attacks that are developing already in the Abrams-Kemp general election. Let's take some phone calls. Uh, Austin Marietta, welcome. Hey, Eric. Uh, I'm a uh, an attorney and uh, about to start seminary shortly myself, a reformed guy. So oh, we excellent. have a lot of common there. Nice. Yeah. Well, I was calling to uh, say, uh, you know, my two cents is I think Cagle's another one of his problems uh, specifically was his alignment with Deal and what Deal did with Rifra. And yeah. I think when he vetoed that bill and people saw that and they aligned Cagle with that and and it just fed right into the trust issue you're talking about. And like you said before. Man can't serve God and money. And I think there's enough conservative Christians in the state that said, we've had enough of this and, and we don't trust. It. Yeah, yeah, you know, Austin, I think that, and I, I was talking to a very smart uh, Georgia politico yesterday, day before yesterday, told me he thought that the deal endorsement actually hurt Cagle in that regard because the base of the party, it may be an absolute non-issue for everyone in the state except the base of the party when it comes to campus carry and RIFRA, uh, having the governor veto those pieces of legislation and essentially it was one of those deals where it was very obvious that the legislature governor deal wasn't on the ballot those years the legislature was they needed to pass it they didn't want it signed into law they knew the governor would veto it and they would kill any effort to override the veto and it looked very opportunistic and kegel plays into that the same with the the uh free the beer legislation from a couple of years ago the number of stories that circulated over and over and over of um kegel having gotten donations from the beer distributors who didn't like the law and then once pressure was applied publicly suddenly allowing legislation to go through there were these issues and whether they're true or not here's here's the thing whether they were true or not uh the perception was there and i don't know that the kegel campaign really tried to overcome those perceptions they presumed they would have enough other people come into the primary to support him against those um knuckle dragging republican grassroots voters yeah, and I agree. I think the deal endorsement might have hurt him. And uh, and you just combine that perception with the the dishonesty look. And when he's got ads running saying, oh, I'm a, I'm a big Christian, you can trust me. And people hear those tapes and the way he talks on them, and the two just don't line up. Yep, uh, that that right there, the, the Tippins audio just created the trust feedback loop. Thanks, Austin, very much for the phone call. There really was a feedback loop on the trust issue, and instead of owning it and saying, yeah, I said those things, I would have said or done anything to get this guy's endorsement, uh, they they were too clever by half in how they handled it. There, I mean, obviously there were a lot of mistakes they made, uh, and I'm sure they're kicking themselves today. And I, I hate to, to kick them when they're down, but uh, it is kind of eye-opening that things that seemed obvious didn't get done there was a lot of trust us we know what we're doing we got deal elected we'll get this guy elected 
and it didn't go over so well. And the, the Chamber of Commerce in Georgia really should look at itself right now and understand that at the base level of both the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, uh, people who are too closely tied or perceived to be too closely connected to the Chamber of Commerce are not doing well. And they may want to examine what they're doing that caused voters in the state to have a backlash against them. Back to the phones, Tom in Powder Springs. Welcome to the program. Thank you. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. I, I think uh, Kegel was too smart by half in, in uh, you know, I'm conservative Casey Cagle. The only time I ever heard that was once his ad started. I never thought of him as conservative Casey Cagle until he started running for governor. Yeah, you know, l- listen, I, I I didn't want to be too direct in it, uh, and I tried to to give everyone a wide latitude to come on and and let them make their pitch uh, without me uh, grilling them and and trying to be hostile to any of the candidates. But I said several times that uh, I mean it is a rule of thumb when you hear people in their advertisements just saying conservative, 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 uh, they probably aren't. Um, you sh- wouldn't need to say it that much. If you were, and I think when you look at the straw polls at the grassroots level across the state over the last year, there was a big indication that most of the grassroots didn't think so either, and that it weighed on the campaign. Jerry and Mableton, welcome to this news. How are you? Hey, Eric. Uh, a reality and a fact. Reality is that as much as the uh, the left wants to think so, Georgia's not going anywhere anytime soon. It's a red state. It's moving, but it's still a red state. Yeah. The fact is the number of votes that were cast in the Democratic side of the primary and the Republican side of the primary, which leads me to ask you, you know, how do you, how does Kemp, who ran hard right, and Abrams, who ran hard left, get to the middle? Because the middle's going to have a say in electing the next governor. Right. Uh, excellent question. And the issue here is who can get to the middle uh, with the voters? And my sense is that we're a center-right state. We're not a center-left state. And so you will have more voters uh, forgive Cagle his uh, round him up immigration position than will forgive Abrams her blow up Stone Mountain position. You'll have more voters forgive Cagle for having too many guns, one possibly pointed at Jake in an ad, versus uh, Abrams take away all the guns. You'll have more people forgive Cagle for being pro life than you will uh, Stacey Abrams being championed by Planned Parenthood. Uh, there's a center right balance there, and I think the default is to Kemp. You got to remember, yes, Kemp got less votes in. In the primary than Stacey Abrams got in her primary, but we had five candidates. She had two, and the Democrats had less of a turnout overall than the Republicans had. So the media is going to want to turn this into some sort of major historic moment. The first female black governor of the nation. I can't believe how many times I've heard this already in the last 24 hours, but I don't think it's going to help. Jim in Atlanta, welcome to the WSB. Hey, uh, educate me, because I never did hear this. Uh, I, I was not a fan of uh, Governor, uh, Governor Deal when he was running, but I became a real fan of his. I think he did a great job running the state. But I never – I ended up voting for Kegel, uh, but I never did hear Governor Deal explain why he endorsed Kegel versus Kemp. And, and I'm still perplexed by that because I, I trust his judgment. Can you educate uh, me on, on I, honestly, why he endorsed him? I think even the, the Kegel folks don't really know. There is a rumor, and again – Again, this is a rumor. It is a rumor that some of the senior staff in Deal's office uh, 
cut a deal with Cagle that if he got elected, he would keep them on the payroll because they need their pension, state pensions to vest, uh, but they need another two years on the state payroll for their state uh, retirement plan to vest. And that that deal was put in place and, and that led to the governor endorsing. I don't know whether that's true or not. That is the rumor that I have heard from people in and around the Kemp campaign and others. Uh, but I, mean, I will say this. The governor didn't do anything with his endorsement. He, he had an unrelated press conference where he mentioned he would be supporting Casey Cagle, and then he moved on. He did no events. He didn't do any phone calls, didn't do anything. Uh, meanwhile, the president endorsed Kemp and brought the vice president to the state, did major ground game work for him. Um, I, don't, I don't know that the governor needed to do that. And, well, he did. The rest is history. It is 56 after the hour. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. One side note here on all the election stuff from last night. Um, it does not appear that uh, David Schaefer has conceded it. Maybe he has. But this is a big, big upset. David Schaefer, I voted for him. He's been a friend of mine for 20 years. I shouldn't say friend. Uh, I've known him for 20 years. We've gotten to be friends in the last uh, number of years. Uh, he was executive director of the Republican Party. He has been in politics. Uh, it has been his life. And he came within 6,000 votes of winning the lieutenant governor's nomination without a runoff. Within 6,000 votes, he almost got it. It was, I mean, he was like 49.8% or some such. And he's now out beaten by Jeff Duncan. Uh, I got asked by people close to Schaefer to to go after Duncan. I, I didn't have either of them on the show. Uh, I only wanted to focus on the governor's races. We, we had too many candidates wanting to get on. That seemed like a reasonable limit. Uh, I wasn't going to beat up Duncan because uh, everybody I know who knows him likes the guy. Uh, and he's won. Uh, and he won on a, a strong message. But there's a lot of money attacking Schaefer, too. Now, when we come back, Abrams versus Kemp, what's it going to look like? It's nine after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is the Evening News on WSB. And the phone number is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, relevant to the, the points I want to make is uh, what Rob wants to talk about up in Accra. So, Rob, I'm going to come to you out of the gate and get this going. Welcome. Thank you. I was just curious as to why you think uh, the polls have been wrong so much lately. Hillary was supposed to win hands down, and Cagle Kemp was supposed to be close, and both weren't. Well, so there are a couple of things. Um, one, if you actually look at the 11 Alive, the Fox 5, and the AJC WSB poll, they got the trending very good, and they also had the race ahead. And in fact, if you look at those polls averaging where they wound up being, they almost got the early vote right. 
um, with Kemp uh, over. Now, the AJC came out about two and a half weeks ago, so it was Kemp was still in the upper 40s, but the others came out in the last week and had Kemp in the mid-50s, which is right where the early voting was. So I, I think those polls were actually fairly accurate. Uh, but then you had the president come in the Thursday before the election. You had high numbers of undecideds in all those polls, and the undecideds basically went all in for Kemp. So there's no way the polling could have gotten that. Um, now, the internal polls for Kemp and Cagle all saw it. Uh, the Cagle campaign pollster has released his internal polls, and you see um, it is a, a neck-and-neck race. It starts to divide a little bit, and then the president comes in, and boom, there's a huge gap opening up all of a sudden. Uh, so I don't think the polling was that wrong. Uh, what I do think, though, is that we're going to see now a series of polls come out in the next month or so that are designed by the media to make this race look way more competitive than it actually is. Um, you need to understand this. If you understand nothing else I say today, you've got to understand this. Uh, the media has a vested interest, and I'm talking national, not local. The national media has a vested interest in making this race a big deal because you have the historic factor of first black female republic or first black female governor she was a republican they'd ignore the race so you got first black female governor the that's a big deal you've got uh accusations against brian kemp involving russian hacking you got accusations against brian kemp involving voter suppression and voter rejection You've got President Trump endorsing. This is all the perfect storm for media sensation in the Democrats' advantage, and they're already sympathetic to the, to the Democrats here. They're already sympathetic to Stacey Abrams. She's been on all the late-night shows that all the little millennial journalists love, uh, talking about being, being a, a wonderful progressive. They are going to do everything they can. There will be manufactured polls, and those polls will be very close. And I'm just telling you, you have got to be wary of what you're going to see over the next month or two. Now, here's where this race is going to go. Georgia is a center-right state, and center-right politics are going to play out because you have a massive number of left-wing interest groups supporting Stacey Abrams. You have one group that is aggressively in favor of slave reparations, Stacey Abrams, Hasn't taken a position on it, but this is a group that supports her, and it wants reparations for slavery. There's another group that wants gun bans, gun confiscations, uh, repeal of Second Amendment rights in Georgia. The uh, every town left-wing activists want to support her. And then there's, of course, going to be the, oh, it's the Democratic women's ticket. You people are going to be so tired of hearing about the, the all-female cast. Uh, it's you're going to get just tired of it. Every time Democrats have a bunch of women on the ballot, it's year of the woman, year of the woman, year of the woman, it's year of the woman. Did you hear it's year of the woman? When Republicans have a bunch of women running, as happened in 2010, completely ignored. But when Democrats have four or five women, running, it's the year of the woman. Did you know it's the year of the woman? It is the year of the woman. Yeah, it's going to be declared the year of the woman because we've got a couple, we've got some women uh, congressional nominees in Georgia. We got uh, this uh, notice Karen Handel, it wasn't the year of the woman with her. It's the year of the woman now. The year of the woman with Stacey Abrams. This is one of the things they're going to do. But a lot of the national news, I mean, for example, just just take the 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 general summation of the Republican nomination. The general summation of the Republican nomination is that Donald Trump endorsed 
Brian Kemp, and but for Donald Trump's endorsement, Casey Cagle would have won. And it's now Donald Trump's party. Except the early voting, we now know Brian Kemp won it 57.8% of the vote. Brian Kemp won the early vote before the president endorsed him. So it's real hard to say that uh, Brian Kemp was only pushed over the edge because of the president when he won before the president got involved. But that's one of the things that they will do. They will try to claim that Brian Kemp wouldn't have gotten to where he got but for the president. And Brian Kemp is happy to have the president's support. And by the way, guess what? Donald Trump won Georgia in 2016. But they're going to attack him for that support. They are convinced that Donald Trump is going to hurt Republicans, even in Georgia. And I don't think the polling bears that out, by the way. But the other thing they're going to do is they're going to attack him on the the Russian hacking. This was the very first story that was run on left-wing sites last night is that the Russians hacked the election servers in Georgia and Brian Kemp covered up. There's no evidence of that. None. Uh, But they're going to run this story nationally. Will it sink in locally? I don't know that it actually is going to. I I really don't know that it's going to. But they're going to try. Then there's going to be the story that you're already seeing Atlanta media run this story. Brian Kemp suppressed voters. Brian Kemp threw people off the rolls. Brian Kemp stopped Stacey Abrams from registering people. Actually, Brian Kemp was just making sure the law was followed and cleaning up voter rolls. The same people who are worried about the Russians hacking are the people who think that we need messed up voter rolls, apparently. I mean, you've got this non-sequitur argument going on. They're concerned that the Russians could hack into our election voter database and steal the election somehow or rig it, and yet they don't want the voter rolls cleaned up. That's their attack on Brian Kemp. Now, what are the attacks on Stacey Abrams going to be? Well... She wants to blow up Stone Mountain. I'm not kidding. She she wants to, to level Stone Mountain. She is strongly for abortion rights and state subsidy of abortion rights. She is strongly for gun control. She wants to raise taxes. I mean, the issue here is going to be, is she too liberal for Georgia? It's not going to be whether the attacks on Kemp are going to be on competence issues. The attacks on Abrams are going to be on... Uh, liberalism issues, public policy issues. And here's the thing. Casey Cagle threw all of those attacks to Brian Kemp. And Kemp still won the Republican nomination. Now you can say, well, now you're going to deal with Democrats and independents. And that is very true. But Democrats and independents have been hearing these attacks. They've been seeing them on TV as well. And you're going to find the polling close in the worst case scenario, probably. They're not going to have a huge impact on Kemp. And Kemp's going to be able to come out and say, these are old attacks. We've already had all these attacks. They're old attacks. He's also going to run a more aggressive campaign, largely because he has been vetted and tested. I mean, say what you will about the Abrams-Evans primary, but Abrams was not given a run for her money, largely because uh, Stacey Evans did not have the money to fund a massive campaign against Stacey Abrams and go after her with all of the the dirty laundry she's got, the financial issues and whatnot. Brian Kemp's going to have that money. Now, the left is going to pour massive amounts of money into Georgia for Stacey Abrams. But at some point, you reach a saturation point, and there's only so much you can spend to shake things up. 
Ultimately, what it is going to come down to is a simple calculus when voters get to the polls in November. One candidate has an R next to his name. The other has a D next to her name. And in Georgia, the R still gives you an advantage that the national media doesn't believe. And we'll see Brian Kemp be Georgia's next governor. It is 26 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. To the phones we go. Scott in Alpharetta, you are up next. Welcome. Hey, Eric. Hi there. I'm wondering if it's a good thing or a bad thing for Brian Kemp to use the financial situation of State Free Abrams in his campaign ads. Well, you know, if you the Kemp campaign made a big deal of Kemp's financial issues, having been a small businessman and stuff, I I don't know that he goes down uh, that avenue with with Abrams, as they both, having run small businesses, have had financial issues in dealing with small businesses. I suspect, though, uh, that you may very well see Kemp start talking about uh, a more personal biography here in his own, um, started his first company with his pickup truck and a shovel. Uh, you may very well find that he turns this into a positive for him uh, and goes after Stacey Abrams for her policy liberalism that it would be bad for business in the state. you got to remember that the most up-for-grabs segment of the population right now in Georgia is the Buckhead Republican and the suburban moderate. And they don't like Kemp right now because they they got their panties in a wad over his um, Jake ad where he pointed a gun at poor little Jake. No, he didn't. But nonetheless, you know, pe- people got into a tizzy about that. And then, oh, you, you got to round up the illegals. I just that that guy, I just see even Casey in the, the Tippins audio attacking, attacking Brian for doing that. Um, and he's got to win those people back or at least get them to his side if he didn't have them to begin with. And one of the ways he does that is he says he's going to be good for business. He's going to be good for their pocketbook. And you've already got Stacey Abrams talking about wanting to repeal the tax cuts. you got Stacey Abrams wanting to raise taxes. you got these big spending policies that the state's going to direct the way forward. Um, and I think that Brian Kemp can make a very compelling message on that front that he's not going to come after their checkbook. He's not going to come after their values. He's not going to come after their businesses. And by the way, he's been there. He's worked in the trenches. He has a lot of sweat equity as a small businessman. That message, I think, gets him in the the, the north suburbs and the Buckhead crowd uh, and the metro Atlanta Chamber of Commerce crowd that doesn't really care for him but is scared to death of Abrams. It's 38 after the hour. Eric Erickson here on WSB. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Related to our discussion of Abrams versus Kemp, uh, National Journal has a story today pointing out that in most primaries this year, it's actually been the moderates at state-wide level on the Democratic side that have beaten the progressives. And Georgia is one of the few where the progressive beat the moderate. Now, this is one of those issues where you've got to remember that the media, by and large, is lazy. I don't mean that to sound mean, 
but it, the media is lazy. They're, the media runs as a herd. And the herd mentality is, of course, that um, Brian Kemp is ultra-conservative and Stacey Abrams is ultra-liberal, that Donald Trump is going to shape the field and Georgia has a chance of going Democrat. If I had a nickel for every time there was a story about Georgia suddenly being in play, I would be a multimillionaire right now. The fact of the matter is that voters aren't there yet. There's a huge controversy in Washington today in that Stinney Hoyer, the House whip for the Democrats, the uh, number two Democrat in Congress, essentially told the socialist girl from Brooklyn that she needs to know her place. And Democrat activists are livid. But his point is sound. He told her that she's not immediately going to go to leadership because she hasn't been there long enough. Congress doesn't work like like other places, and she needs to learn how Congress works. And she also needs to understand that not every Democrat in the nation can be as liberal as she is or that they're comfortable being as, as liberal as she is. Uh, it's just, um, well, par for the course for the Democrats. They've got to understand that most of the nation is not as liberal as they suddenly are. Progressivism is a deal breaker. Now, what's going to happen in November probably is you are going to see probably the Democrats take back the House, but what you're going to see overall nationally is the Democrats are not going to have this this huge wave. They're going to have in blue areas of the country a strong Democratic showing, and in red areas of the country they're not. In Georgia, you will see that the Democrats do well, but they don't take over. They're going to have a stronger showing than they've had in the past. By the way, I pulled it up. Um, Brian Kemp at the Secretary of State's level. Remember, there is ballot fall off when you get down to Secretary of State. But Brian Kemp has won this state in 2010 and 2014 with 57% of the vote. 57% of the vote for Secretary of State. Solidly across North Georgia. Um, blue-collar voters um, down along the coast and in South Georgia. He's done very, very well. In the mid-state around Robbins Air Force Base, he's done very, very well. Um, Democrats and the media right now are treating this race between Abrams and Kemp as if Kemp is the guy who's going to lose because he's too conservative for Georgia. They are treating, they are building up the expectations for Stacey Abrams, and that actually works Uh, to her disadvantage. But the media is desperate for a win here. They are desperate for a narrative shift. They are desperate for this historic moment. Uh, And I don't know that they're going to get it. They sure do want it, though. Now, there is other news happening out there nationally that I want to get into, including the president has a victory on tariffs, and I'm hoping he will get rid of the tariffs as a result. Uh, The White House has said that the European Union and the United States have come to terms on avoiding tariffs by cutting a deal with the EU allowing importation of some things uh, without fees or penalties that they otherwise hadn't. Details are very sketchy on this right now, but it appears to be an actual win for the president on the tariffs issue. He's getting nothing from China right now. I'm hoping that he will scuttle the tariffs for Europe because they're going to start being a drain. We're doing a $12 billion subsidy to farmers in the United States uh, who are already government-dependent. Bortz was was yelling at me yesterday about this, that that stop saying let the free market handle farmers. The free markets never handle farmers. Okay, that's true. There's always been a government subsidy, but an additional $12 billion on top of the existing subsidy? Not good for our farmers. Now, apparently, soybeans are at stake here 
in this deal with the EU. That is good for the president. If he suddenly declares that the tariffs have worked and declares victory and, and scraps them further, it's going to be a huge bounce back for our economy right as we're headed into the midterm elections. And stuff like that will help Brian Kemp, particularly with Georgia's farmers and also the issue with Georgia's teachers. I've had a number of people reach out to me and say they have a hard time believing that Georgia's teachers are really going to go with Abrams over Kemp, just given some of the things she said about wanting to fix public schools in the state and her Hope Scholarship issue. We'll see where that goes. There's a lot of stuff in play, folks, and we are still months away from November. So it's real hard to say one way or the other what exactly is going to happen other than we know historically Republicans have the advantage in Georgia. So calm down. Now, other news. Republicans in Congress appear to have given up on reining in the president on tariffs, on fixing, on, on helping ZTE, the Chinese company, uh, and on a host of other issues. There are Republican free marketeers in Congress who are blasting the president on the farm subsidy issue. And it's going to be interesting to see if they try to join with Democrats in the Senate to filibuster. Except here's a dirty little secret. The Democrats will be okay subsidizing the farmers. They will vote. They will lament that they're having to do it because of the president's terrible economic policy, but they will love, love to subsidize the farmers because the Democrats want greater dependency on the federal government, and that includes with farmers. Now, you guys know this, but listen, there's, there's this massive hysteria right now that somehow or another the Democrats are going to filibuster subsidies. There are free marketeers in the Senate who would love for the Democrats to join them in doing so, but it's not going to happen. They're going to pass the subsidies. So all these media stories, yeah, I don't think we're going to see Republicans in the Senate do anything, let alone in the House of Representatives when it comes to holding the president accountable for anything. He's going to do tariffs. He's going to bail out ZTE, the Chinese company, and the rest will be history, and they will complain about it once he's gone. But as long as he's in office, you won't hear any of these Republicans criticizing him. It's 52 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. Y'all, I got to read you this. Um, this is an excerpt from a website that chronicles um, technology and has a, a section where it chronicles basically all the, the superhero and sci-fi TV and movies and whatnot. Um, we, CBS released Supergirl uh, three, four years ago, four years ago, and it took off as a hit, but they moved it over to the CW where everything has to, I mean, it is a basically a, a quota system. Now they, they've garbaged up a lot of their shows, particularly DC comic shows. You've got arrow over there, flash and whatnot. Uh, and it's super politically correct. Everybody sneers about the people of faith. Everybody talks about being a preening atheist and how, how atheism is, it's just, it's, it's total progressivism polluting uh, all of the shows. Um, I, I gave up on Arrow a couple of years. It's just, it's terrible. Let me read you this synopsis from this website of what Supergirl's fourth season is going to be. Supergirl's upcoming fourth season will focus on how the world begins to accept racist anti-alien sentiment in the wake of a devastating invasion that pushes Supergirl to her limits. While that story is particularly timely given our political climate, the show is also making a powerful statement about the importance of on-screen representation with the introduction of Nyan Nil, a reimagined version of the Legion of Superheroes character Dreamgirl, who next season will be a transgender reporter 
played by a transgender actress. While the fact that Nia is trans might not play a huge role in her character's arc this season, her introduction to the show is momentous because she'll be the first transgender superhero on network television! Not only that, but Supergirl just single-handedly proves something we should all know is true. It's not at all hard to actually cast transgender people to play transgender characters. <sighs> Who wants to watch this? First of all, they're, they're, they're doing the whole racist, anti-alien sentiment. They're essentially bringing progressive left-wing politics and views about what's happening in the United States to TV. And then, of course, they're doing the entire indoctrination stuff of your kids to, to normalize transgenderism when it's still widely debated as to whether or not it's a mental health issue or not. But, hey, they're getting all on board the crazy train with all of this stuff. I mean, it's just, I mean, who wants to watch it? All the politically correct, you got to have so many gay characters, so many so many black characters, so many white characters, so many males, so many females, so many lesbians. Uh, I mean, who? I don't care who you're sleeping with. I just don't think I need a checklist. If I were to write a TV show, so I got to have this many here, this many here, this many this, that many this. I just that people are so worked up into this and they, it's a it's a good thing because it's represent I just want I want the story and I don't want to have to deal with daily politics in my TV shows. Meanwhile, you've got Celine Dion out there saying that she can't look at the American flag anymore without getting angry. She hates this country now. Our hearts will go on, of course, but she, I don't know, she's going to have to stay in Canada now. Uh, the politicization of pop culture and music, and I'm just, I'm really tired of it. And I know you guys are too. I hear from people all the time, but particularly the CW, the, the Warner Brothers stuff. And by the way, I got to say, I have seen the previews of Shazam and Aquaman, and they look like garbage. The CGI in the Aquaman trailer looks cheap. I mean, it looks like something my kid could do on my Mac. It is not professional. And Shazam just looks cheesy. I realize they want to get away from the, the dark stuff from DC, but I'm thinking they just need to give up altogether and let Marvel handle this stuff because they don't seem to know what they're doing. They're so busy using a PC quota system to make their TV shows. I just, y'all, I would love to be able to unplug at night and not have to watch politics on TV shows. And it's almost impossible thanks to the left. Conservatives, not having it.